1: One thing that i'm big on if you've been a listener for some time is generosity and not just amassing wealth for me 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 you 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 i think it's so important as part of our broader financial plan that we factor in some type of generosity and giving in our life now i would never ask someone to give any of their money to anyone if you're struggling to put food on the table pay your rent look after your kids and yourself and those baseline things you know what i'm talking about however It's not all about money, and I know that you can give blood, you can donate old clothes, you can cook a meal or give someone a smile, but if you are in a position where you've got those big rocks in your life, you've got a sound financial house well underway, all your financial foundations are strong and in order, and you want to start looking for a good place to be generous with your money, we've got a part on our website, mymillennialmoney forward slash charities. And we just encourage anyone to have a look at that. And I'm talking today to Mark Domkins from Forever Projects. If you're on our email, you would have seen Forever Projects. We've featured them over the last handful of months. And we're catching up. Mark was on the podcast a couple of years ago. So I just want to swing back around Let this episode be an encouragement from Mark's story, an encouragement for you to give in your own life to somebody, to something, be generous, all that stuff. And three, if you are encouraged by what Mark has to say in the work they're doing at Forever Projects, you'll be giving to really fertile soil. All right. And just quickly, one thing that keeps me plugged into my investments is some of the satellites that I have in my portfolio. I've got a variety of different satellites. They've got a smaller allocation as opposed to my core investment portfolios. And that keeps me plugged in. With our Thursday show partner, Global X, you can do just that invest in different themes from all around the world domiciled here in Australia wherever you buy your ETFs from. Global X have been a part of My Millennial Money now for a few months and we're so thankful that they are involved with supporting our Thursday podcast. Thanks Global X ETFs Australia there's a link in the show note to check out their website. Mark thanks for joining us back on My Millennial Money today are you ready to have a chat about all things forever projects?
2: I'm ready mate great to be back here with you
1: again Glenn. All right let's get it on. Mark, you were on the podcast a couple of years ago now. You know, we've had a heap of new listeners since then. As I said at the start, I really want to encourage anyone to be a generous giver in their life. I like the fact that we've got a a handful of different charities that we recommend to people. Uh, Our list isn't the list, it's a list and it's a good place to start. And one of those charities is Forever Projects. So give us the elevator pitch on what you do with Forever Projects. Then we might just recap uh, for those playing at home, how the charity came about and a bit of your story. Then we can move into what you've been doing.
2: Sounds great, mate. Yeah. So thanks again for having us. Love the audience. Love the show. Really stoked to to be here again. Um, Yeah. So Forever Projects, our mission to help women break the cycle of poverty and create a self-sustaining future. Uh, Currently working in Tanzania. So we fund locally led teams, people who know their culture and people the best to guide women through a 12-month program that starts with nutrition for a malnourished infant, um, provides crisis support, but then it's all about a hand up, not a hand out. And so training, one-to-one, one-to-many, and then uh, women are able to establish a business in their village that kind of intersects with their skills and interests, and then within 12 months, that income is providing for their chubby, healthy child is now weaned and they're independent, so it's a really remarkable program that ends in independence and not in an ongoing kind of,
1: yeah, need in a way. And how did uh, this come about? Maybe touch on your personal story. And, you know, I, I would take as much time as you need, like we've got all the time here. <laughs> so don't um, don't worry because two years ago, you know, I'm going to forget some of the stuff you said. So totally. I just really want to um, get the heart behind Forever Projects. Yeah. Thanks, mate.
2: So we, uh, it started With my wife and I taking an adventure to Tanzania, we had a four and one-year-old at the time. Uh, I'm a math teacher by trade and as a school counsellor, so we were living and working in Tanzania in a little town called Moshi on Mount Kilimanjaro's southern slopes, and uh, it was a school, you know, full of international students or um, students from around Tanzania, Uh, and so that was an amazing experience in itself. But during our years living and working there we'd like we'd always felt really strongly about opening up our home the kids who didn't have that hope of a family of their own um, and, and poverty being a, a huge reason for that in Tanzania and so during that three and a half years we fostered and eventually adopted three more beautiful kids so we went from two kids to five we had a four-year-old and four one-year-olds um, at, by the end of 2010 which you can imagine just the beautiful chaos of, of that family life. <laughs> um, How old are your kids now? So now our eldest is 16 and then two 14-year-olds, two 13-year-olds and a surprise sixth who's eight. And uh, we we had max when we moved home by surprise. So Wow. Yeah, maxed out as we like to say. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Yeah yeah so um, but that was the that journey of living and working there obviously the organization we adopted from we'd done a lot of research into their ethical practices and making sure that these kids had no other option for a family they really believed in family preservation um and you know mate, the day we walked out of that baby home with our three and you walk past 57 other kids who weren't going to a family that day and you just ask like, what would need to have changed in these kids and our kids you know biological mum's story for that not to have been their reality And so that was the question that lingered with us and luckily like the the local partners that we'd adopted from were also asking that question. They believed too that if they could work upstream catching women in crisis, that would be a key to to reducing the number of kids in the orphanage in the first place. And so Forever Projects just started innocently with us raising funds here to really help scale up a a pilot project they were running at the time uh, in
1: 2015, yeah. Now, the reason that you have three kids from Tanzania is, were they triplets? Is that my memory? They're biological siblings. Yeah, good memory. Yeah. So, there's um, twins and a biological brother. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, the work on the ground is primarily with people on the ground and you just wholesale organize the funding effectively?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We believe these teams know their people and culture better than we do. But what like with any kind of organisation, there's so many hats to wear and if fundraising isn't one that they need to worry about um, and, and we can kind of niche into that with our strengths and build that capability here in, in Australia and that frees them to really continue to build the quality of the pl- project and scale it.
1: Yeah. And how long has Forever Projects been incorporated and running officially Yeah, since
2: 2015 is when we launched Um, and so about eight years uh, fundraising. And it's it's, like I said, started with annual fundraisers and then we just noticed that the way we were inviting friends and family at that stage into engage with this project really resonated. Mm. And so, we thought, well, if this is delighting these people and kind of, you know, as you said earlier, like generosity is something that everyone we believe wants to be part of but people also aren't just going to throw their money at things that they're not confident are going to move the needle or create an impact.
1: Well, also, you know, and the reason I ask the age of your charity is because, you know, generally speaking in data with small businesses, you know, 75%, 80% fail within the first five years. And I mean, sure, you're not a quote unquote business, but as mm. a startup type of entity, mm. you're well and truly established so that mm. can provide confidence to people who want to... Um, to look into forever projects um, after they've heard today or seen the logos around. Yeah, how many people on the team at the moment?
2: Yeah, so in Australia, our team is uh, two paid staff members, myself and um, our creative director Ben, who's all behind brand storytelling, design, and then we've built a team of contractors around our, our core team who, um, you know, like video. Um, you've got copywriting accounting social media management those kind of things that complement the core mm. functions of what we're doing and i um, excited to be hiring someone in growth uh, at the moment which is really exciting and then um, that the, the teams on the ground will all have each of the partners that we fund has a community development officer social worker and then support staff to kind of help them um, as they deliver the project so week by week
1: yeah Now, we will get to the financial aspects of all that stuff because everyone's probably thinking, you know, what happens when I send a dollar? And let Mm. me tell you, everyone, this is a really cool setup. But since we chatted in 21, Mm -hmm. what's been happening since then?
2: Yeah, so we—I think we chatted just as we went into um, second wave, second, second wave of COVID, <laughs> and so and I'd just fallen off my bike. I had a triple compound fracture of my ankle. so there was you know wave after wave of obstacles. But really proud that we, in that season, dug deep into thinking about how do we not become a victim to the kind of constraints of the climate around us and our personal circumstances, but how do we you know really. See opportunity here um and so we ran a big annual fundraising campaign called watch kilimanjaro we focused on growing our monthly donor base and uh in the two years or the last two years we've basically sent as much to tanzania as the previous eight combined and so um that's really giving our partners the confidence to continue scaling up what they're doing and obviously for them what, what they need to know is they've got reliable not unrestricted income in that they can spend it on anything, but they are trusted to spend the money we send within the guardrails of the project. And I think sometimes you see um, grants that are made, and it's very specific around you must spend it on X. And, and sometimes that can um, actually create more obstacles to the delivery partners than, than use. So mm. yeah, so that's that's been awesome to be to be still growing um, during a period where
1: there's just been so much uncertainty. And, yeah, uh, gives us confidence for what's next. And do you think like? You know, two years ago, certainly um, it was easier for Australians. I'd imagine a lot of your donors are Australians. Like we've got high interest rates, we've got inflation through the roof. Has that had an impact um, in real change on your, you know, revenue? I'll call yeah. it revenue raisings. I don't know. Yeah, yeah.
2: It? No, that's what it is. We We're
1: just we're, we're making
2: money and we're sending it as opposed to you know giving it to the shareholders or whatever. Yeah, or, or, or partners. I like to say it's it's not a not for profit. We're just a not for loss. <laughs> that's like, right. Yeah, we, we need we're, to we're, survive. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, we've definitely um, noticed with our campaign we ran last year, Watch your Kilimanjaro. We noticed um, that people felt less confident to share that. So it's a it's a peer to peer physical challenge fundraising campaign where you might you know, to 220 kilometers on your bike in a week and invite your, your friends to sponsor you. Um, and we noticed, and obviously with Kilimanjaro, it's the connection to Tanzania, um, people w- were less confident um, or maybe bold in sharing their campaign, inviting their friends to give, um, mm. given they're, you know, aware of what they're going through themselves, let alone their friends. Um, and average donations definitely dropped um, mm. in that way. Uh, yeah. And then also, I think from a monthly giving perspective, the amounts we're seeing on average people giving dropping a little bit, but that's to be expected. And I think it's important that we, like one of our core values at for our Projects is empathy. So what's it like to be the other person, whether it's one of the women in our project, our local partners or our donors. And um, once you see the world the way they do, you might change your you know, communication with them in a way that's more sensitive. Um, but I think it's not binary, right? It's not like give nothing or give $100 a month, there's all kinds of things in between
1: yeah. that, that people can do. Mm. Yeah. Now, Tanzania as a country, you know, are you getting back there a couple of times a year now that COVID borders and all that stuff are happening? Uh, but within that, you know, you pull up in Tanzania. What's it like there on the ground? Like what's the financial climate of Tanzania? What's the culture like as a country? Um do you feel welcomed by the community? Like, oh, not another white guy trying mm. to save us. That type yeah. of vibe. Like, what's yeah. it like on the ground?
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely um, it's so warm and inviting, but it's also important. I think you know I'm not just some other random white guy that's going to show up. Like I've lived there three and a half years. I can speak fluent Swahili. I've you know had some. Um, you know, not zero experience with the culture, and so when you go to the local market, for example, and want to go and buy some fruit and vegetables, um, people might see you and, and make a value judgment based on the color of your skin and say, "Oh, here's some tourists." But then when you just, again, that empathy piece, go, "Okay, this person is right to assume that I'm a tourist," but then I just drop some Swahili that's not your tourist Swahili. Um, that immediately sends a signal that, "Okay, I'm, not, I'm I know what it's like mm-hmm. to, to live and work here and all that sort of stuff," and so that immediately breaks the ice, and then you go from. Maybe some cynicism or sceptical, uh, not not that there's not a welcoming vibe, um, but you immediately go to, oh, like come over, let's have a chat, what's going on, and and it's just amazing how um, welcoming people are and how much people will feel that you mm. make you feel belonging. So I think that's that's something that I think is a huge value that that culture has that we lack in, um, you know, and, and and that feeling of being welcome and just that. The us not I the collective versus the individual is, is a huge thing that I love about that and really miss uh, about about Tanzania um, mm-hmm. in terms of how often I've been back haven't been back since 2019 and part of it is really the push and pull between okay what's the other than going on a holiday mm-hmm. which I'd love to do um, but you know getting eight kids uh, six kids on a, on a plane at the moment it's not cheap um, what's the purpose in me or one of our team going at this point? And what's the value that that brings to the project and who's it really for? Is it for me? Um, And at this point, we're really comfortable with the systems we built during COVID around, um, you know, reporting connection, understanding what their kind of obstacles are at the moment. And so whilst that's working, there's got to be a really good reason for me to be there. Um, And, and I think that goes back to our knowing our place in the story is that our place is the fundraising side and there's an opportunity cost of me being there because I'm not here. I'm trying to really move the needle on the fundraising side. Yeah, I,
1: I don't know how COVID impacted mm. Tanzania, uh, mm-hmm. but what is the financial climate of the country?
2: Yeah, cost of living is definitely um, a big deal like it is for us here, but just amplified. So um, some of the staples like beans, rice, sugar, um, maize and flour, like have all gone up 50% or more um, in the 12 months to November 2022. Um, and that will continue to jack up as feds continue to rise interest rates and you start to see the continued fallout of the kind of, um, you know, cl- uh, conflicts with um, Russia and U- Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, in sim- and, and during COVID also, I mean, about, I think it was 10% last time I checked of the budget um, of GDP was from tourism for Tanzania. So they, t- they took a big hit during COVID as well. So it's been a t- real challenging season for them.
1: What's their main export or industry?
2: Yeah, they've got agriculture's big, so you you know, a lot of exports. It's quite lush, isn't it? Yeah. On the east
1: of Africa, yeah.
2: Yeah, really quite close to the equator um, with Lake Victoria there. Uh, They've got a lot of um, resources, so not to the extent that the Congo DRC would have, but um, they've they've got some offshore oil and gas um, with Mozambique on the border there. Uh, In the west, there's a lot of mining, so near two of the projects that we fund. There's a lot of mining with gold and and zinc. So, um, yeah, there's a a lot of interest from foreign countries to invest and develop infrastructure for the country in a way that's going to be win-win, but certainly there's a lot of um, forward-thinking
1: nations getting their tentacles in there, yeah. So if we take it back to the work of um, Forever Projects on the ground, if I walked into one of the programs and I saw a mother... Um, who was maybe pregnant or mother-to-be rather, um, or just a, a woman in the project who's, you know, just engaged with Forever Project. Practically, how do we see the work that you're doing, sending the money to the program and how the program is supporting that mum and that child? Yeah, yeah, I'm Sorry so, if that was a sloppy way to say how no, does it no. work. <laughs> yeah. No,
2: no, mate, it's, it's spot on. So really the question is the women in the projects, um, what are they doing there and how does the program kind of remove their obstacles? So typically um, the the women in the projects will be either a mother who's too sick to lactate and so um, without access to alternative nutrition, which might be peanut butter supplements or formula milk, which, uh, which are completely unaffordable if you're average Tanzanian. Um, they're they're watching on as their child's quickly losing weight and the support kind of services from a government perspective just aren't there to provide that when you've got malnutrition at such huge scale. And so um, you you might have a mum like that who wants to keep their child but um, is in that position where they need the nutrition. Um, Or if tragically the mother's passed away and a a relative has stepped in, it could be a grandmother, it could be an auntie or another relative. Similarly, that they've got a malnourished infant, they're not able to feed themselves and so in both cases, the the lack of access to nutrition just means that that, that that's the kind of immediate need that's required. Um, and just to give you some stats on on the cost of say a tin of formula milk, like here if you went into Woolworths at the moment you might pay thirty-five bucks for a tin, but in Tanzania it would cost their average Tanzanian their entire week's wage. Wow. And so imagine we went into Woolies and um, saw one thousand one hundred bucks on the label. Um, you know, so you, you realize unless you are above average income earner you can't afford mm. that um yeah and so the program therefore is addressing nutrition for those infants that are in the, the care of those women and then once they're weaned certainly solid foods like fruit and veg locally grown much more affordable but an income is required to actually provide that for the kids and so for the projects team help those women set up a small business that intersects with their skills and interests so that um within that 12 months of the program they're independent and able to provide
1: yeah Off the top of your head and I haven't prepped you with this um, direction with where I want to take the conversation and just tell me to go away, (laughs) you know, out of school and all that stuff. But have you got a a current example and you can change their name for anonymity or anonymity or whatever the word is um, to make the person anonymous? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, give us a real-life case study of a mother who's just been through the program and how you've helped. And as a part two, how much would it cost in Australian dollars to get mum at the start of the program, through the program and bub weaned and mm. onto solids? Yeah, yeah, cool. I, one story that I love
2: telling, and it's recent because we're looking at um, this woman coming back in and training other women. So like an alumni um, kind of project on the back of it. Her name's Shakuru and so uh, her little boy Joseph was born fine but she was unable to lactate because she was too sick and so as I just shared she's watching on as he's losing weight went to different support services was losing hope and I I think mate the thing that gets me is when I think about the the real risk that these kids would end up in the same orphanage that our own kids potentially in the same room right Mm -hmm. um and so uh heard about the work um went to with the local team um a huge part of the kind of program is the dedicated local staff who will do a really detailed initial assessment and understanding of the circumstances weighing of the little baby his name is joseph and then um the program is a week by week cohort of like 60 to 70 women and so there's the initial meeting uh and then we, each week the um children away to make sure they're putting on weight all that data is kind of recorded to ensure that kind of world health organization standards are being well and truly met uh, and then there's like training of the of the women in the group so it could be first aid disease prevention how to set up a business and then throughout that process they'll do a situational kind of analysis of of shakura's home and they identified that she was a great seamstress but she didn't needed the capital to set up a small business and so um, they provided her with a sewing machine and she was able to get a bunch of inventory material and then learn how to kind of create products that people wanted, making enough margin to go out and buy more um, material, raw products. And so I went and um, I've seen her business in action and she's so proud in like selling these items. You know, it's not just the, the idea of a handing out, but like when you've actually created a business and then generating them for yourself, there's such pride in in her eyes as she as she sells and Joseph's running around all
1: healthy and chubby. So it, it isn't just about um, let's get bub weaned onto solids. This is about how do we equip mum and or dad, like the family unit, yep. to be self-sustainable and give them the tools and assistance to flourish yeah. in their life.
2: Totally. Yep. yep. That And, and the end of projects kind of qualitative uh, milestones and outcomes are all about that around um Do you have enough money for medicine in a crisis? Um, What kind of, how many meals a day are you eating? And what is the nature of that food? Is it meat? Is it fish? um, Or is it just vegetables? Uh, Being able to like, you know, things around like HIV, AIDS, um, malaria, like an understanding of those key, um, just the things that will help them mitigate risk to them returning into poverty um, at the end of that 12 months. Yeah. And and I think I've your curious story because, like I said, it's what the team is interested in now is going, how do we improve, let the data that we're getting from the project is now being about 1,350 women go through the project and nearly 1,800 babies like Joseph. Mm. And so looking at some of the outcomes in the project, things like how many businesses are successful that are set up because not all are and they might need a second capital injection to try something else. Um, what's the kind of... You know, is it four or five X increase in income and how do we move the needle on that part of what they're doing? So um, they're going to test getting women like Shakira to come back into the project as alumni and kind of like take apprentices on Mm. and see what that does to the success rate of the businesses that women are setting up, yeah.
1: So how much in Aussie dollars would it be on average or ish to get a a pregnant mum through the program with a, a weaned healthy child?
2: Yeah, and just to clarify, she wouldn't be, she may be pregnant with... Another child, but the, the women in the project are always there because they have a, a, an infant and it could be newborn,
1: could be older, but it's, it's, a, it's an infant they can't feed currently. Um, yeah, okay, sure. So you, you can bring a, yeah, you can be introduced to the project with a five-month-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And in some and so it's $100 a month for, for 12 months. So $1,200 dollars, dollars is, is enough for the project from nutrition, crisis support, training, business setup to
1: independence. Yeah, so if someone flicked 1200 bucks a year... Uh, they've got one family unit through a very difficult situation. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And, mate, to, to, to throw out to some of your listeners from the first time we went through, it was um, really cool to see some people joining. And, you know, as a founder, I'm super curious about new members of our community, how do they find us? And a number of them said, yeah, we heard you on One Millennial Money and um, one couple, I won't mention their names, but it was pretty inspiring. They'd said, you know, we're expecting a baby of oursel- for ourselves and we just can't imagine being in a situation where we couldn't provide for that child. So they started giving it hundred a month. Um, no. Not that you have to give a hundred a month, no. but they, in the two years since, there's two women like Shakura that have
1: been empowered um, because of their generosity, which is really, really inspirational. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks everyone who um, who still listen and, and support um, Forever Projects and any other charity. For the nurses and the doctors and the butchers and the bakers and the candlestick makers listening, what are the nature of some of the um, medical issues in a young uh, woman's life when starting a family that are happening, but here it just would not happen. Yeah, yep. So, obviously, malaria, just given yeah. the, the
2: climate, um, but malaria shouldn't occur if there's, you know, mosquito nets and just a basic understanding of how that works. Um, tuberculosis, HIV, AIDS, um, even just. You know, we we see some women in the project after they receive that initial crisis support and and a diet that's, you know, even just marginally better than what it was before. The milk returns, and then um, then it's okay. We have a nutrition source now, the ideal one. Um, What's your sustainable income source? So the kind of it's not like a one size fits all um, approach. It's it's quite bespoke, where each woman's very different and her circumstances are different. And um, yeah, but there's some of the common. Yeah, obstacles that women are facing, and so all of those can, or you know, more than one can result in that milk not coming. And um, yeah, and, and that's the the huge that's
1: the that's the catalyst for the women finding out about the project. Yeah, yeah wow. Hey, we'll take a break, and when we get back, I'm going to turn up the barbecue, turn the grill on, and I'm going to throw Mark on the grill and give him a grilling about the money situation. We'll be back
0: right after this.
1: Radio, we're back. Let's talk the money side. Now, you've got a very, very unique way that people can get involved. Mm-hmm. But before we talk about that very, very unique way, let's talk about, I'll call it governance, corporate governance or whatever word that you use, quality control on the ground. When you send money over, number one, practically, how do you send the money? Is it through WISE? Is it through... Western Union? Is it crypto? Like, How do you physically get the the money over there? Yeah, so we early stage
2: in 2015, before we received tax deductibility status, um, we partnered with an organization called Global Development Group, had a great reputation for taking like a, an umbrella of smaller projects like ours and effectively helping us helping our donors provide that tax deduction and the confidence that the money's going where they said it was um so they they wire the funds to the projects in tanzania and they're about a 30 35 million dollar organization so that means we're getting a much more competitive exchange rate than we would mm-hmm. with um doing it ourselves yep. just through nab um, so that's all through them and then what we noticed actually starting on we thought maybe initially we'd start with that partnership and then once we were established ACNC, and all that sort of stuff take all that on ourselves but we noticed these guys were fantastic at going okay what's the way you're measuring outcomes not just outputs like how much formula milk was given out or how many mosquito nets were given out or how many businesses but what's the outcomes and really helped us work with local teams to set up the measurement framework on impact and so that relationship's one that we've continued today because I mean Josh one of our connections there at um, GDG he, he was just in one of our projects in Arusha in January came back had a great set of feedback from what they're doing well, what they can work on. And then, yeah, so, so and, and we're also sharing learnings with other projects they run in East Africa around, especially at the moment, we're all talking about how do we move the needle on the success rate of businesses that are set up and how can we test different ways to maximize the um, effectiveness, yeah.
1: Yeah, so there, there's not, you know, a group of people driving around in a brand new Mercedes, thanks Correct. to all the donors here. There's some good yeah. governance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like six monthly reporting on all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that that's all taken care of on that side, yeah. You know, you've talked about some other kind of partners uh, in the program that you plug into. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about those partners on the ground and how they bring um, their skills to program participants.
2: Yeah, so the partners um, all have a different kind of core, maybe origin kind of problem they're solving. So in in the main partner that we fund is the one we adopted from. So they were an orphanage and of the belief that the happiest day would be when the doors closed because there's no more orphans were, um, you know, needing housing. Kids were with families. Um, so each of the partners we've uh, funded over the last eight years has been something like that where they've got a, it might be a daycare for, for young children or it could be an orphanage or it could be um, like a baby project and support for caregivers and or, or foster carers. And then they're all similarly looking upstream at the systems change problem that they could contribute to to stop beneficiaries ending up in their project in the first place. And so there's like one program uh, that runs like a franchise that runs no matter what the local partner is. And so it's the same 12-month program that I described earlier, but being delivered in different cities through different partners. Um, but there's a whole onboarding process that they go through to uh, that's run on the ground to make sure that they're uh, yeah, sticking to the existing
1: kind of best practices of, of that 12-month program. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Now, the money part. There's a lot of skepticism out there with charities and high admin costs. One of the other partners we um, have on our charity website, uh, The Life You Can Save, it's a filtered um, program. So, you know, there's validated charities all around the world. So we know that if someone's giving a dollar, you know, 50% isn't going to an executive, for example. Talk about your 100% model and how that practically works.
2: Yeah. So early days, we noticed that our friends and family delighted and had a great rewarding experience in giving because they were confident that we were literally sending it to the partners. You know, this was back in the early days. And so we thought, how do we maintain that at scale? So we invited 60 friends and family to fund our operational costs. This is when we first kicked off. And what that meant was that the unsexy costs of charity, like paying for a designer or credit card fees or, you know, producing a pamphlet or whatever it might be all that was covered by a core group so that as we went out and fundraised every cent that group gave um, will go to the project and so if you go on a website give 100 bucks we'll lose i think it's two dollars 15 to the e-commerce transaction even that's made up by this group and so every cent that the public give um, goes to the project and so i think it's it's a great question people ask right like how can i be confident my money is going right that i've been told it's going and what impact did it make and those are questions that we believe with scale and storytelling and just some decent strategy around business model. You can take those questions off the table for people and say, yep, we've we've sorted that out.
1: Yeah. And we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes um, to our website and the first charity that you'll see there is forever projects. And there's an awesome video there. If you want a visual story of uh, what Mark and the team are doing, but full disclosure. So everyone who's been in the my Millennium money world for some years um, know that I'm a, Giver a financial giver. And I give um, to Forever Projects out of my personal name. And I've told Mark, the money that I give out of my personal name, I want to go to the core because I believe I want to support you with what you're doing. And I use the analogy like, you know, if the heart isn't strong, the rest of the body can't do its function. So I'm happy to be a a heart specialist for Forever Projects. (laughs) Um, And then through the operating company that our podcast works, at the end of the year, when I say to everyone in the Facebook group, hey, I've just given all these amounts to all these charities. When I say, look, we've just given, you know, X amount to Forever Projects um, on behalf of my millennial money, that amount there goes 100% onto the ground. Yeah. So it's a great... I think it's just awesome. If you've got a a heart for the heart like I do and you really want to support what the team are doing, um, you can be like me and join the core community. Mm -hmm. Now, just talk to us about the core community.
2: Yeah. So we treat our core community as our, as I said, our beating heart. It's almost like our investors. And when people invest, they certainly invest their their capital and money, but um, we also lean on them for support, creativity, strategy. What's in their hands uh, isn't just their money. Um, So, you know, you and I have had great chats about, the different roles we play, you know, even just before we're recording, we're talking about hiring and all that sort of stuff. So that group provides much more than just um, their money. Even though without their money, the business model would fall flat. Mm. Um, yeah, so that group meets annually, and we, uh, as we have scaled, we've identified that there's the initial friends and family kind of group that got that business model started and kind of proved out it could work. Um, that group meets. In Wollongong, in a cafe annually, and you know it's a particular persona that, that kind of have a connection to us, um, as well as the mission. And then, as we've tried to scale up our impact, we recognise that uh, you know growing an organisation requires more funds. The answer isn't to have you know three times, four times the number of people in that core community. It's more how do we raise the amount that we're inviting people to give. Per month, and and create like a smaller group of bigger givers that can be part of the next chapter of that growth. And and, and really grateful, mate, you're a part of that. Uh, and that group meets annually out of Canvas space in Surrey Hills. And um, yeah, it's, I, I think it's it's a definitely a different persona than mm. your friends and family that are like, oh yeah, we'll get behind you. Um, and both are equally as important to us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I I just like I absolutely um I'm totally on board with you know my personal money going hundred percent into the HQ. Mm -hmm. If it
2: supports
1: supports your big time executive wage for 10 minutes, (laughs) I'm all for it. And, but it just means like the, the people like me who are actually okay with um, giving some big amounts on a monthly basis, Hmm. it will free up someone who might be listening. Who's like, you know what? I've got $20 a month. Things are tight, but I believe in this. And I know that if I donate $20 a month to forever projects, it's tax deductible for me. Awesome. But more than anything, that 100% of that $20 gets onto the ground. Yeah,
2: totally. And mate, like thinking back just a month or two ago, looking at it, like our big call to action is to give monthly. And it's, as we just said, it's, it's, it is it's a hundred a month for a, a, a woman and a child to go through the project, but it doesn't matter how we get that hundred a month. And we noticed in I think it was in December, November, we had you know 11 new donors, average of 30 a month. That's now three women a month more because of that group of 11 new donors, some giving it 10 a month, some giving 50, some 100, but that little group of November new donors, that's three more women per month that can join the project. And so it's the power of us, not I, um, and mm-hmm. we love the power of that. And I think it's great that your listeners, whether they're already giving to us or if they are thinking about it, I love the idea that you know their guru, Glenn, is um, – in, in enabling them to have a, like a, a pure play at, at giving and going, all right, people like Glenn have taken off um, the question of how much of my money is going to the project, all $20 is going to go. So that's that's kind of cool seeing the connection
1: between you and your community. Yeah, so I think, and I'll say it now because I'll, I'll do it at the end of the year, like I think the My Millennial Money entity, I think we're doing 500 a month at yeah. the moment. So it was just good for me to know that probably getting four people mm-hmm. through that yeah, program, five, four or five yep, people. so Per month. I mean, sign me up, baby, like mm-hmm. and you know at the end of the year, I' probably flick some you know some other cash, but for me, and for the personal finance vibe in me, um I just like to cash flow things. so you don't have that emotional yeah. like oh, I gotta write a ten thousand dollar check like or whatever, um, and it helps your cash flow as well, spell totally. out the charity and your planning as well, so that was probably more why I um wanted to just commit to the monthly thing. Um, as opposed to just dumping a heap of money on your lap in June. but Yeah. Can yeah, I ask so, you a
2: question too on that? Look, yeah, which sure. I'm curious about is, you know, you're, that's super generous of you, but that doesn't just, you don't flick that like a switch. And so what's your kind of relationship with generosity? Where did it start? Was it when you were young?
1: How did you kind of build that as a value? You know, people always ask, um, you know that movie where the guy's like, I'm the captain now. You're <laughs> like, I'm the interviewer now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that is fine. You know what people say, like, what's your, one of your first memories about money? Mm. Do you want to know what my first memory about money was? Every time I would go to my Nana's house, before you would leave, she would put like 20 or 50 cents in our hands and close our hands as a gift. Oh. So the first ever memory I have about money is receiving a gift. Mm. Yeah, right. Now... I don't know. I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious, but like, <laughs> <laughs> well, those who know know, right? Um, <laughs> do you know where that's from? No, uh,
2: the office, Steve. Okay, Crow. yeah, yeah. I've got um, a whole thing to go back and watch. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, I think so. There's that was happening. Mm. I knew that you know you'll never be worse off by being generous. Mm. Like I just know it. You know, there's a there's an old ancient proverb that says like, the generous will prosper. Mm. Like, and that's two 3,000 years old. Like, it's, it's one of these life principles. Now, I'm not saying, oh, I'll give Forever Projects $500 a month and ta-da, I've manifested yeah, yeah. a car for me. That's rubbish. Yeah. But I just know, Glenn James, I live in Australia. I'm a white guy. I'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And... For me, I had to, you know, ratchet up like the amount of money that I give each financial year. You know, it gives me a stroke on a human level, mm. but I know that it's had to be a, a journey of, well, like you said, you can't just turn it on one day, and that's why I encourage anyone start five dollars a month, five dollars a week. Yeah, I would never ever tell someone to be generous if they can't put food on their own table and look after their own house first. Totally get that. Yeah. But if it's the right time for you, make a start and maybe, you know, jump on the Forever Projects website, Instagram at Forever Projects, foreverprojects.org. You've heard Mark's heart, you've heard Mark's story and this could be a good place to start. And for me, and it's really helpful. I'm glad I asked you like, because I don't think I asked you last time, the dollar per person. Mm. It's just so handy to know that, for every hundred dollars that is donated, it gets one real person through a program each month.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think too on that, that I heard someone I think it was Seth Godin talking about money is a story. Once we've got enough to pay for beans and rice, shelter over our head, money's a story. And, and he, he's like, you should tell yourself a story that you're proud of. And I think the um that you know, when you see a hundred dollars now, um, like coming out of your account, that's a story you're telling yourself about. Oh, that's right. We talked about Shakuru. I understand what's happening there. And and that is good. Like you're prospering as a human because you know that that's happening. Um, and I think the, the other thing I find interesting around the generosity piece is that it doesn't matter the amount you're giving because the act of being generous means that you're building an identity as someone who is generous. Just like if I run 5Ks and you run 40Ks, but we do it regularly, we're both runners. It's just then about, you know, stats and so on, but the identity of a runner is not about how far or how fast you run, it's the act of doing it. And similar, I think it's similar with generosity
1: and anything. Saving, if I save five a month, 500 a month, I'm a saver. Yeah. And I would probably say as well, like much like investing, you know, if you're in consumer debt, well, forget investing right now. (laughs) Pay your debt off. If you're in debt, well, forget giving all your money away, pay your debt off. But I will say a but in there with the investing piece and with the giving piece if you've got a mess on your hands, you need to focus on cleaning that up. Hmm. But if you're paying $300 a month to clean up a mess, well, can we carve off 5 or $10 a month just to get your heart in the water, your toe in the water with this giving or with this investing? So I've said it like a broken record. The only three things I do in my life is live on less than I earn, be a generous giver and invest the rest. That's well said. That's all I do. And I don't know, this is... Yeah, this has just been an awesome chat. Before we um, wrap it up, is there anything that you want to maybe talk about that I haven't asked you or any other kind of things that you want to send people to or to be encouraged by?
2: Yeah, no, I think uh, it's, it's been a great conversation. I think just jump on the site, you'll see my little talking head pop up and I'll take you through a, for a tour of the website um, through that little app there. And uh, as I'd said, we've talked about the, the most important um, call to action for our community is to, um, give monthly. That's the, the reliable runway that the partners need. Um, and I think just probably the last thing that would, I think, be a benefit to anyone listening is that just what you said in the last part there, if you're paying off 300 a month, can you carve off 10 um, I heard someone also talk about generosity as a way of creating a sense of self-sufficiency for ourselves. And the analogy this person gave was, imagine it's snowing. You wake up and you're snowed in and you're like, oh, and you start to tell yourself the story that you're a victim and it's so hard. And you look across the street and it's this old person snowed in too and they can't even lift a snow shovel. And so you manage to get out, get across the street, shovel their walk and they can get out, then go back and do yours. And so that act of generosity is going, well, I'm doing well enough to be able to do that. Mm. And that self-sufficiency is super important, especially in an uncertain world at the moment. so I think that the 10 of the 300, um, it's like saying, okay, this is hard, I'm paying off debt, but I've got enough to do that. And, And that might change your experience with life and and debt and and kind of the story you're telling yourself. So yeah, it's, I I can't speak highly enough about giving
1: as as you, as you do. I think that's why we hit it off. (laughs) Totally. Mark Dompkins, Forever Projects. Thanks for being part of our uh, trusted charities at My Millennial Money. And thank you again for your time. Thank you, mate.